I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I've got another Nashville resident with me, Johnny Price. Johnny, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. So you're with WeFunder, but I've got to ask before we get into that, how did a guy um, from, I don't, I'm not sure where in England you're from, but who studied at the University of Cambridge, how did you end up in Nashville, Tennessee? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm from London, originally in the UK. Uh, started my career in management consulting with a firm called Oliver Wyman in a London office. And then after doing that for a few years, I went to volunteer at a nonprofit in San Francisco called Kiva.org, K-I-V-A. Um, we did crowdfunded microloans for entrepreneurs around the world, uh, mostly focused on the developing world. Uh, and while I was there, I met my wife, who's actually from Nashville. So she's the reason... Uh, we ended up here, but we started dating long um, in San Francisco. Then when I went back to London, we dated long distance. Then I got the consulting company to transfer me to their San Francisco office. Then we got married. Uh, then I left the consulting firm and joined Kiva full-time in 2011 to launch their US program um, and led that team for seven years. Um, and then in early 2018, joined WeFunder. Um, so I've been here for three and a half years now. And then about a year ago, um, Ali, my wife and I, we had two kids at the time. We've now since had a third, um, but we were kind of stuck in inside our apartment in the middle of the pandemic in San Francisco. And we, our apartment was about 12 square feet. 
uh, you know, and our kids were there and we were working from home and all the restaurants, the cool bars and restaurants in San Francisco were closed and neither of us could go into our office. And we were saying, you know, what are we doing here? So we, with many other uh, tech employees, I decided to, to move to Nashville. Um, she's from here, as I mentioned, her parents are here. They're really, really um, helpful and awesome with the kids. So we're, we're loving being here in Nashville, but that's the, uh, the circuitous route where, uh, through which I found uh, a Brit found himself living in uh, Sylvan Park here in Nashville. Yeah, I love it. As a New Yorker who married a Nashville native, I totally understand how this works. The inevitable that you end up back here. So that's interesting, though, the, the gig you had before WeFunder. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, this management consulting background plus this I'm not sure how to describe a social enterprise, maybe social impact enterprise that you worked at kind of formed together to, to lead you eventually landing at WeFunder. Yeah, I, I wish there was a, a kind of grand narrative arc. I studied history in university and uh, there was this, uh, you know, way, way of studying history in the 19th century, Whig history, where they would kind of plot the arc of the British Empire and the inexorable rise of the British Empire over the centuries tracing back to 1215 when King John signed Magna Carta, you know, and it was, it was always destined in the stars that the British empire was, it was, you know, going to ascend uh, to, to global domination. This version of history kind of uh, fell by the wayside as the British empire <laughs> fell apart in the 1950s and 60s. But uh, definitely that, that kind of narrative arc based approach to my career, if you tried to plot that would be a little disingenuous. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of fell into consulting out of college because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And the management consulting firms were, you know, giving out free wine and, and canapes. Um, and then I kind of fell into the nonprofit thing because I, I did this volunteering gig there because someone else at Oliver Wyman did that. And she was like, this is amazing. And you get to go to San Francisco for several months so and take a sabbatical. So I kind of fell into that. And then I got to know the team at Kiva and I was really excited about the mission um, so that's what brought me back to Kiva. And the role I had of launching this US team at Kiva was really exciting. So it was kind of serendipitous, kind of um, almost reactive rather than super strategic um, or planned. But that's kind of how I came to Kiva. And then honestly, again, like, you know, I there was a new CEO who came in at Kiva in late 2017. And me and him maybe didn't see eye to eye, shall we say. So that that's what caused me to, to um, leave Kiva. And so then I was like looking for what was next. And at Kiva, there have been several big challenges. So we were doing 0% interest microloans to low-income entrepreneurs throughout the US. Average loan size was 5K, crowdfunded. Um, but there were several challenges with that model. One was that Kiva wasn't earning a revenue stream. So we were a nonprofit. So it was entirely donations-based, uh, our revenue. And so it wasn't kind of economically sustainable as an organization. And then secondly the lenders were not earning a rate of return. The most they could get back was their $25 principal. So they were just doing it to help people, which was awesome, very pure and noble, but kind of limited the capital that we were able to raise and deploy. And then I came across WeFunder, which was a new model that was enabled by a law change in 2016, regulation crowdfunding that we can get into. But WeFunder's model basically solved both of those problems. So WeFunder's charging a fee to founders. If they raise capital on WeFunder, WeFunder charges them a fee. So we're economically sustainable, pretty profitable business. We're in the black month to month. And then on the investment side, investors can get a rate of return. 
hopefully they invest in the next Uber and get a thousand X rate of return. <laughs> it's unlikely, you know, or if we do, we do loans on the platform as well, and they can get an interest rate on the loan capital they're investing. And so now that solves the, the investment capital part of the equation. So I found this model. It's like, wow, it's still in the crowdfunding space, still in the, you know, democratization of access to capital space. It's a public benefit corporation, a B Corp. So there's still that mission element. And it's solving these two biggest challenges of the Kiva business model that I was experiencing over the last seven years. And then, you know, got to know the team and literally within a week of having my first conversation, I had signed um, an offer letter and started working. Um, so it was just a really a match made in heaven. And it's been a really exciting um, journey over the last three and a half years. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's go ahead and define it. What is regulation crowdfunding? Yeah. So most startups or, or small businesses, when they raise capital to, you know, grow, grow their team or expand their brewery into a second um, tap room, um, they are using an SEC exemption called Regulation D, um, which, which allows them to raise capital from accredited investors only. An accredited investor is someone who has $200,000 of income or 300K household income or a million dollars of assets excluding their primary residence. So basically, it's very, very rich people, right? Top 5% of the population. Um, and, and secondly, with Regulation D, typically you can only privately solicit. So you can't post on Facebook, hey, I'm raising capital, right? And so the JOBS Act that passed Congress in 2012 uh, one component of the JOBS Act was a thing called regulation crowdfunding. Um, and regulation crowdfunding then was rolled out by the SEC in May 2016. Um, so it's been legal now for five years. And regulation crowdfunding changes those two aspects of Regulation D. So firstly, startup founders can now raise capital from unaccredited investors as well as accredited investors. And then secondly, you can publicly promote the investment opportunity on social media, you can send an email blast to your customers, you can put out a press release, you can come onto this uh, podcast and talk about your offering. And so in those two ways, regulation crowdfunding, we think is making it a lot easier for founders to raise capital. Um, and where we found a space in San Francisco, there's a lot of angel investors, there's a lot of VCs, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to raise capital. What I found, we funded it a, a train trip through the country and what we heard speaking to founders, like maybe not in San Francisco, not in New York, Boston, where capital is a plenty, but in lots of parts of the country, it's a real challenge for founders to, to raise capital. And so, um, you know, we fund a regulation crowdfunding. I think probably the primary goal of what we're doing is to make it easier for founders throughout America or whatever gender they are, whatever ethnicity, whatever industry they're in, make it easier for them to raise the capital they need to, to take their shot. And, and so what exactly is WeFunder? How does it play in this space? Yeah, so we're the biggest uh, regulation crowdfunding platform. So if we help founders raise 50K to 5 million in capital, usually equity, although we do allow for debt offerings as well. The average raise is 350K. And so normally, you know, if you raise, you know, a million dollars in a, in a seed round, maybe that comes from a small number of angel investors or, you know, an early VC. And on WeFunder, you raise that million dollars from maybe it's a thousand people investing a thousand dollars on average. And some people might put in 25K, 50K checks, 
Um, but some people might put in $100 checks. Um, and so on the founder side, we're helping you raise 50K to 5 million in capital from unaccredited as well as accredited investors, you know, and from WeFunder investors as well, by the way, we have a million registered users. You typically bring in about a third of the, the money on any given campaign. And then on the investor side, rather than saying only rich people get to invest in startups, like anyone can invest in Starbucks, right? And anyone can go to Las Vegas and put $100 on the spin of a roulette wheel. So our founders thought the fact that they were not able to invest in their friend's startup or the coffee shop down the street from them was kind of weird and stupid and quite un-American. Um, I always think it's funny for the Brit to you know, criticize something as un-American. But so now it's, anyone... there's a long tradition of that, I think. So that. <laughs> exactly. But now anyone can invest a hundred dollars in a startup they love. Anyone can be an angel investor. And so that that's kind of the mission on the investor side of the of of the platform. How long have they been around? WeFund was founded in 2012. Um, our founders are actually pretty influential in getting the Jobs Act through Congress and shaping the law. Um uh, they really, really wanted to be able to invest in their friend startups. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, like I mentioned, the SEC took four years then to roll out regulation crowdfunding. So there was kind of a, a secondary kind of founding moment of the company in 2016 when the law went live. In the, in the interim, we went through Y Combinator in 2013. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I joined the team in, in 2018. Um, and have been there for three and a half years now. And, and last time I went on the website, I think it was something like 1.3 million people are on your platform or, you know, yeah, the database did. distribution list? Yeah, well over a million registered users now. We've uh, funded um, over $300 million of investments to, you know, coming up on a thousand startups. Um, so yeah, starting to, and, and that's growing very, very quickly. So August of this year, we did about 5X um, August of last year. Um, there were some rule changes to regulation crowdfunding um, that were rolled out by the SEC um, earlier this year. So May 2016, regulation crowdfunding went live. The most a company could raise per year was about a million dollars. Um, and the rules that were updated in May, in March of this year, now allowed startups to raise $5 million. Um, and we can roll individual investors to one SPV on the cap table. And there are various other kind of improvements to the laws that have seen WeFunders growth really accelerate in, in the last um, few months. So we were kind of growing pretty linearly for the first, you know, four or five years of, of regulation crowdfunding. Um, in the last year or so, six months especially, that growth has been a lot more exponential. It's been a lot of fun and also very chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what differentiates you from other similar groups in the marketplace? Yeah, um, a few things. So WeFund is the, the largest regulation crowdfunding platform. Start Engine's the second by investment volume. Republic's the third. We tend to think of Republic as a closer competitor in terms of kind of product and prestige. But so size is one. So the number of investors that we'll put you in front of, for example. Um, I think the product is, is a really important one. Um, as well. So that's both the kind of investor UI and checkout flow. And for every person that lands on your campaign page, what percentage are going to make it through the checkout flow and create an account and invest using various different payment methods. So having a super smooth checkout flow is I think like very, very important, right? You, you want to optimize conversion through that investment funnel. 
Um, so I think that's a differentiator, but also product for me is broader than that. So for example, the way we structure investments, even though the SEC facilitated this with the March uh, rule, rule updates to regulation crowdfunding, um, you know, none of our competitors, to my knowledge, have yet started using SPVs as the vehicle to roll investors to one line on the cap table. Republic uses what's called a crowd safe start engine, uses a custodian. So WeFunder uses an SPV, and this is just an instrument that's very familiar to um, angel investors, follow on venture capital firms, startup lawyers, um, and there are other kind of benefits of an SPV as well. So that, that's kind of one element of the product. You can launch a WeFunder campaign in an hour versus usually I think our competitors would would have kind of maybe days and weeks of due diligence and vetting and your kind of process that you need to navigate. Um, we're also cheaper. Um, I think our team is really awesome. And we're a public benefit corporation and a B Corp as well, which is a little bit more wishy-washy, but we are really kind of legally committed to kind of upholding our public benefit corporation charter and, um, you know, kind of in this for the right reasons, although that's probably not going to be a reason why I found it helps to go with WeFunder. <laughs> although that's like a big part of why I work at WeFunder. I don't know. I think the sentiment's changing around that, right? I mean, you've got Allbirds and some of these other groups that are going to go full-blown IPO mm-hmm. that are B Corps. And they clearly those mission-driven investments that resonates with today's investor uh, community. I think that's right. And I, I think like my pitch oftentimes for, because normally the, the pitch, to be honest, like if a founder decides they want to do regulation crowdfunding, like we fund is probably the, the number one brand in the space. Like I'm pretty confident we can <laughs> persuade them to go with WeFunder. The harder question is usually like, do you want to do regulation crowdfunding or do you want to raise money in a conventional way? Right. And to your point, on kind of impact and, you know, quotes, doing the right thing, that kind of stuff, you know, part of the pitch now is like, okay, you're raising capital. Don't you think it will be a cool thing, maybe even a good thing to let your earliest supporters, customers, community members, fans invest in you. And if you make someone rich, you make them rich as well as the VC, it's not a either or thing, right? Like you can, you can raise from venture capital firms as well as your customers. And so it's, there's an element of my pitch now, which is like, Hey, this is like, there's a, there's a pledge. I can't remember the name of it, where it's like, we're going to give X percentage of our, you know, revenue or profits to, to charity, right? The giving pledge maybe. And so it's, like we're kind of experimenting with this idea of like a community pledge where it's like, okay, give 1% of your equity, you know, 1% of the ownership as you raise capital to your community so they can build wealth with you as well as, you know, the, the institutions, the VCs, the angels that are writing the larger checks. And if you, if you step back again, a big part of the reason I work at WeFunder, I look at an economy that for the last, you know, three or four decades, has been going in the wrong direction in terms of concentration of wealth, right? The top 1% of the population control much more wealth now than they did 30 years ago. And like, I wonder if at least part of the reason for that is that the only people that get to benefit from Uber's IPO at Airbnb's IPO is like, you know, accredited investors. And so much wealth is being created by startups. So the idea that we should share that explosive wealth creation around more broadly feels to me like a a good thing 
and it's not obviously it's not just like oh you should do WeFunder because like you know you want to help tackle economic inequality you know hopefully it's an easier way to raise money but like there's another aspect as well just to make this explicit um one one of the the most explosive WeFunder campaigns ever was uh, Mercury Bank that that just um, uh, launched a WeFunder campaign a few weeks ago. They raised $10 million in five hours um, on their website. They'd previously raised $120 million from VCs in their Series B. So Andreessen Horowitz um, Co2 led the round. Um, and then they opened up $10 million for their customers to come in at the end of the round. And for them, they didn't need the money. This wasn't about the money. Maybe they cared about sharing the wealth more broadly. But the real reason they did it, I think was they thought this would be very good for customer loyalty and customer engagement. Their customers would love them even more. They already have a great product. The customers already love them. But what better way to improve, enhance customer um, delight than by giving your customers a chance to invest in you? They didn't share it with the WeFunder audience. They didn't put it out publicly so that anyone could invest. Well, I, they did actually publicly promote it, but they had so much oversubscription that they had to prioritize only accepting investment applications from their customers. And so that element of like customer acquisition or even customer engagement is for me a really big and I think growing part of the pitch of why a startup founder might want to raise capital from WeFunder, you know, instead of or or as well as from more conventional sources. So you you just acted as the facilitating platform for them to enable their customers to participate in the offering. You took care of all the logistics and yep, exactly. subdocs and all that. Okay. And the most explosive campaigns on WeFunder, WeFunder doesn't really drive the investors. You know, the company like Meow Wolf is this crazy awesome like art gallery in-person immersive art experience in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So they raised a million dollars on WeFunder in like a day and again they just like emailed their customers put it on social media and they filled up the round in a day before anyone in the WeFunder audience got got a look in so oftentimes founders are like they can't fill out the round immediately much more common right and so in those cases those founders are very excited to put their company in front of WeFunder's 1.3 million registered users right like I mentioned, they typically then bring about a third of the investment volume on average. Um, but yeah, for the most explosive campaigns, they fill out the whatever they've allocated uh, on WeFunder before that company even gets in front of WeFunder investors. And so is the mandate mission challenge to continuously increase the quality of the product investment offerings as well as the investor universe? Or what does this look like in five years in your mind? Yeah, um, I think the most obvious thing for me is is growth. So I think if you look at like the percentage of early stage capital formation that is currently happening through regulation crowdfunding as opposed to regulation D, the market share is probably like, I don't know, my guess would be 0.05% or something like that, right? So there's so much if we get a tiny share of that market, WeFunder can be much, much bigger than it is today. And so, and most founders today, probably like they're just going down the regulation D path, credit investors, angel investors, VCs, they don't even know about WeFunder, right? And so just kind of making it more well-known. And I think really prominent success stories like Mercury Bank, Rome Research, raised a million dollars extremely quickly with us a few, a few months ago. We had 
I think 30 Y Combinator companies launch on WeFunder. WeFunder ourselves, like very successful companies that's raised on our own platform. So I think as more of these like, you know, real kind of prestigious companies conduct raises on WeFunder, I think it's just going to be more widely known and accepted and seen as prestigious. Um, so that's the first piece. I think on the product side, um, and obviously the growth will happen on both sides of the marketplace, right? Like Mercury probably brought, you know, 2000 new investors to WeFunder and now we're going to email them other similar fintech companies that we think they might be invested in and they'll reinvest. I think the other aspect of where we see WeFunder going is kind of improvements to the product. Um, mostly, I mean, there's some, you know, kind of logistical kind of refinements that we need to make, but I think the biggest kind of exciting like improvements to the product are around community and, and, and tools around that. So what I mean by that is, like I mentioned earlier, you know, when a, when a VC invests in you, they, they add value in a, in a bunch of ways, right? They might help you to connect to a enterprise customer, or they might, you know, help you put out a press release, or they might um, help you hire a CTO or, or something, right? Add, add value in a lot of these ways. On WeFunder, the value that we can add, I think, I hope, is, you know, if you have 5,000 customers invest in you, that can do good things for your revenue, right? Or, or those 5,000 people can each share the job description when you're trying to hire a software engineer, right? So it's a more kind of decentralized, democratic way, way to add value. So that's the vision. The ways in which we've kind of made that real is very, very nascent, right? But imagine if, you know, there was a push notification. So if you invested in, you know, Bearded Iris as a brewery here in Nashville, and you're walking past their brewery, and you're an investor in that brewery, you get a push notification, say, hey, you, you know, you get you have a beer on the house, a Bearded Iris, because you invested $1,000 in their WeFund around. And that's like driving kind of revenue um, and, and kind of other benefits to the founders that we're investing in so that they're getting more value from being on WeFunder than just the capital, which is obviously the pitch of Sequoia and Andreessen Horowitz is, yeah, we're investing money, but we're also going to help you in all these other ways. And that for me is like the future of WeFunder and how we will over time compete and more and more like win more and more founders to say, yeah, I'm going to go with WeFunder because this isn't just all money is green. This is actually extremely valuable money that is going to help me to accelerate the growth of my business um, in in this by kind of leveraging these thousands of people as like champions and you know excited customers. Right. So the strategic capital angle, and I think that makes exactly. a lot of sense. Right. These network effects that you can have. What kind of offerings historically have been on the platform? Are these usually kind of seed stage tech companies? Yeah, so it's a pretty wide range. Um, so the range that we do is 50K to 5 million, right? And actually, if you max out on the 5 million regulation crowdfunding, which is 5 million annual cap, you can roll over in a regulation D. And so we allow accredited investors to keep investing above the 5 million. So we've had some companies raise more than 5 million. You know, the average raise, like I mentioned, is 350K. So I think WeFunder is a brilliant place to do a friends and family round. I honestly don't understand why you would do a friends and family round not on WeFunder at this point. Um, it's all in one place. It's very streamlined. You don't have to worry about kind of documents and like managing this stuff. You know, it's very easy for us to process investments. You can publicly promote and don't need to worry about SEC compliance. You can get in front of WeFunder investors and run a marketing campaign. It's a great place to raise your first 70K in a friends and family round. 
And then you have the Mercury Banks that is like a add-on to their Series B, right? So in terms of stage, it really is, it runs the gamut. And then in terms of industry sector as well, I think like you typically think of crowdfunding associated with B2C companies, right? And I do think B2C is more in the sweet spot. You know, if you have a hundred thousand like passionate consumer customers, right? You can email them and that's how you fill out the $5 million based on one, one email in one day, right? Um, if you're B2B, you don't have that audience. So B2C, I think is more in the sweet spot, but Mercury Bank is a good example. They're B2B, right? They're a, a bank for startups. Their customers are startups, not consumers. They have 40,000 startup customers um, who really, really love the product. Um, but my point is that it actually works for B2B as well as B2C. And we've had biotech companies do WeFunder, SaaS companies do WeFunder, big infrastructure companies do WeFunder. And then we've had you know breweries and distilleries and restaurants and uh, Chattanooga Football Club is a soccer club that raised 900 grand on WeFunder. That's probably one of my favorite ever raises. I invested 125 bucks in them, you know, and uh, now my name's on their soccer, soccer jersey. Um, so we, we, in terms of industry sector as well as stage, we're pretty, pretty eclectic. And what interaction, if any, because I'm, I'm a real estate person, obviously, we only do Reg D offerings mm-hmm. for a whole host of reasons we could get into if you wanted to, but... Do you interact at all with some of the real estate crowdfunding platforms? Like Fundrise? Fundrise, Realty Mogul, Real Crowd, Equity Multiple. There's a bunch of them, right? Yield Street. Yeah. One of the um, issues with regulating crowdfunding, which might be why you, you've kind of stayed in the rugby world, is that you can't fundraise for an investment company on through regulation crowdfunding. Um, so it's got to be an operating company as opposed to an investment company. So typically the way real estate funds are structured means that it's not a great fit. So we've kind of stayed away from, from real estate. There are ways you can kind of work around it. Um, and there are various things you can do, but just because, I mean, we're seeing so much growth in startups, um, and kind of small businesses, um, that we haven't kind of gone explored the, the real estate um, world too much. And I think kind of WeFunders brand is more around, you know, startups and small businesses versus real estate investing. And so that's probably the lane, the lane we'll stay in. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I meant more from a like co-branded content perspective or understanding their marketing strategies on broadening their funnel, qualifying leads, converting them internally, et cetera. Yeah, that is a good question. I should probably do a better job of reaching out to my counterparts running business development at, at those other guys too. Because uh, it's probably a similar investors and we funder is generally we recruit great founders and then those founders bring the investors. And I imagine that's probably how Fundrise has done it as well as like if a real estate developer is trying to raise capital, they, you know, they bring the investors. Maybe not, I'm not sure, but um, there's even if that's not a particular example of where we might be able to share share notes. I'm sure there's many other many other yeah. examples of that. Yeah. So if you know anyone, you can make an intro. That would be great. Yeah, we can follow up offline. I, I can hook you up to some of those awesome. folks. I'd uh, be happy to do it. And I'm curious. You've been with the firm for a couple of years now. You're going through a large growth uh, stage. I don't want to get. I mean, it's it's it's. It's just afternoon on Friday, so I haven't started drinking yet, but... I like I like the direction it, of this question, Brian. This, this, is, this is where it's at. I mean, this you're, is the meat of the conversation right here. It just, let's, let's do a shot quickly and then get into the answer. Because <laughs> your crowdfunding website 
or crowdfunding platform that raises money for the platform through crowdfunding, but then you help other startups through the platform. So it's kind of like an infinity circle, right? In terms of what you're doing and how you're operating. In WeFunder has raised capital. Um, instead of going to VCs, we've raised capital from investors on our own platform. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've we initially were focused on Regulation D. Um, so we've raised I don't know how much now. I would guess seventeen million dollars. That's a guess from investors on our own platform. And when the law changed in March, we actually then launched a campaign for ourselves. We we have eaten our own dog food, as they say, and. Uh, only raised uh, to date uh, capital on our own platform. And we were a good example of be kind of worrying if this were not the case. But, you know, when we when we launched a WeFunded campaign, we raised, you know, I think $5 million extremely quickly um, by just, you know, emailing our users and say, hey, you actually now get to participate in investing in WeFunded directly. So, yeah, that is a little a little meta. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I mean, like I was saying before, right, like the strategic capital, right, if there's one company for whom that idea that, hey, when you recruit your customers as investors, then they become better customers and brand ambassadors. So it, it made a lot of sense for us to, to raise capital using regulation crowdfunding. So this term gets thrown around a lot, I think too cavalierly in my opinion, but you're on the forefront of this. Where do you see this democratization of access to alternatives, private offerings, et cetera. You've been through two iterations of, of legislation. I mean, where do you think it's going to head in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, I mean, for me, this democratization thing is quite on trend with technology, right? So you look at Twitter, right? It's basically democratized um, journalism. You look at Airbnb has democratized hotels. Anyone can be a hotel owner, right? So there's like a lot of industries where I feel like, you know, um, we are kind of democratizing that industry. And obviously what that means in for WeFunder and startup investing is, you know, rather than only accredited investors getting to basically pick pick winners and losers or, or invest in and benefit from the wealth that's being created from startups and obviously lose all their money in the majority of startups that go to zero, right? And we try to be very, very clear and explicit. This is highly risky asset class. You're locking up your money for long periods. We really try to emphasize, do this not to make a ton of money, but to invest in startups you love, you know, founders you believe in, building the future, the economy, like could be a local economy or could be investing in flying cars and cures for cancer, both of which have raised money on WeFunder, by the way, like build the future that you want to. So there's definitely risks, right? Like there's a lot of kind of negative uh, ramifications of Twitter, I think. You know, some there was a horror story in the early days of Airbnb where someone went to stay in, or someone rented out their apartment on Airbnb and it was trashed, right? So there's, Winston Churchill has this great quote, um, democracy is, I think it's uh, the worst form of government we have, apart from all the others. I think that's a quote. I might have butchered that. Um, <laughs> I think no, but, uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that's right. But the point is, there's downsides of democracy, right? But but it's on trend. And the idea that in 2021, the way you raise capital is to only pitch rich people and only pitch in private and not to use the internet to promote your investment opportunity just seems so crazily anachronistic to me that it's got to, for me, it feels like we've got to be on the right side of a trend here. Um, 
so so it feels to me like a lot of industries are moving in this more democratic direction um in terms of where the legislation might go i mean i wouldn't be surprised if the legislation is relatively fixed for a while it, it changed it was updated five years later the legislation especially in this very polarized political landscape is probably you know going to move a little more slowly but you know what i think one one thing that keeps me up at night keeps us up at night is one of the downsides of democracy potentially, which is like the scope for fraud um, or scope for, you know, investors investing in bad companies, making bad investment decisions. And so we have to think carefully as a company about how to put up the right guardrails and what's the right balance between, you know, we are the gatekeeper and we are a VC kind of picking winning winners and losers. And the only companies you see on WeFunder are like companies that have been vetted by WeFunder versus like, hey, we're an open platform. And actually the whole point of, what we're doing is to say, like, when you have gatekeepers, they might make the wrong decisions sometimes. So there's a balance to strike there. Um, but that that question of, you know, fraud, we will have instances of fraud, right? It's unavoidable as we scale. And so how do we how do we try to eliminate those wherever we see it? Um, and I wonder if that could be some way the legislation, well, I think what the legislation should be trying to do, what the reason why it was illegal for unaccredited investors to invest in early stage companies for 80 years right, was because there was this risk that, you know, people that don't have much money are going to lose their life savings by investing in these, like, you know, bad schemes that were kind of overhyped by nefarious, like, you know, entrepreneurs. Um, and so that's, that's a challenge, I think, both of the legislation, the regulations, the regulators, and also the platforms is how do we how do we kind of prevent that from happening? And obviously, we have a very, very strong self interest in trying to trying to prevent that from from happening on WeFunder, because that's going to absolutely kill our brand and our trust uh, from our users if if and when that does happen. Yeah, I personally think much more likely that they're going to continue to denude the accredited investor status requirements and yeah. allow more and more people into that population yeah. if nothing else at least politically as a way to say that they are trying to do everything they can to bridge this inequality gap right that's become pretty obvious yeah you can see that happening so i think they've already started to chip away at that and could that could accelerate and is there any thought to you know as you grow pie in the sky offering different suites of services to your clients or customer base and in, in terms of other kind of bolt-on type uh not necessarily acquisitions but you know verticals you mean uh to offer to, to invest this correct so regulation crowdfunding is up to five million dollars per year regulation a plus you can raise 75 million um it's a lot more um onerous paperwork to launch a reg a plus campaign it needs to be approved by the sec the ongoing reporting requirements is kind of like a mini ipo um, so it's for much more kind of established, mature companies raising larger sums that can take on that compliance burden. Um, so we do reggae plus as well, smaller number. We're more focused. I think our brand and our focus is on kind of earlier stage companies, um, smaller raises. But we do some reggae plus as well. But that's still in the kind of investing in you know private companies side. Whether we get into real estate, you know, um, crypto, um, you know kind of other other assets art as an asset class right uh, you have companies like masterwork um we don't really have a plan to do that i think like to be honest i think we will be focused on startups maybe forever certainly for the foreseeable future we're expanding geographically um to the eu there's some rule changes 
that are happening in Europe. Um, they go live in November and platforms can, can then go live early 2022. So um, we'll be uh, expanding in Europe. Um, but uh, honestly, the opportunity in the US, in startups in the US is so vast that, uh, yeah, I think this is going to consume our focus for, for a good while, yeah. Best of luck to you. It's a very cool concept. It's awesome that you're in our backyard here in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and telling our audience a little bit more about yourself and, and what the firm does. If people are interested in learning about WeFunder, um, either as an entrepreneur that wants to, to pitch a capital raise or as a potential investor, what's the best way for them to learn more? Yeah, so obviously the, our website is awesome. There's some great FAQs on there. You can easily both you know, view startups to invest in or apply to raise capital with us. If you want to chat with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Johnny C. Price. My email is J-O-N-N-Y at wefunder.com, Johnny at wefunder.com. So um, yeah, I like talking about WeFunder a lot. And uh, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. You've asked really awesome questions. So um, yeah, and it's great to be in Nashville. You know, this is, we now have seven people working out of an office here in East Nashville. And Nashville is now the second, um, basically the second office for, for WeFunder nationwide after San Francisco. So um, it's been great to get to know the kind of um, founder community, investor community here over the last year or so. And I think that's going to accelerate. And obviously it's really exciting times for the city. So much growth, so much entrepreneurial activity. And yeah, if we fund this model can help to, you know, both catalyze um, startups raising capital, but also enable more people, more Nashvillians to participate in startups as angel investors um, I think that would be a really cool uh, way for me to spend uh, the next few years of my career here. Well, I signed up. Um, so nice. you got you got one more. I'm way too scared to do one, but I'll throw down. If you do more breweries, I'll throw down with that. I know, right? The brewery, it's like invest a hundred bucks in a brewery and then maybe you get like a beer, free beer when you go in. You Dude, know? Sign, like... me, sign me up. I can get on board with that. Okay. Well, this has been really fun, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I'm going to end with just a brutal stereotypical question. I'm, I'm going to assume that you're a football fan did you drop your epl allegiance and are you now a nashville sc guy or what i appreciate that you're calling calling it football there i'm gonna i'm gonna pick you up though because you gave yourself away as an american by using the epl acronym no one okay. in england would say we don't we don't have this like in america it's like nfl nba mlb nhl in england it, you never call it epl bpl people in america sometimes say barclays premier league you just call it the premiership I'm a Man U fan, and uh, even though I'm not from Manchester, my dad's from near Manchester, and he he got me uh, turned on to Man U from an early age. He kind of forced me to be a Man U fan. My son just turned three, so I'm going to do the same thing with him, just force him to be a Man U fan. Also, Nashville FC. Although, if Nashville FC played Chattanooga FC, and this is a great closing pitch for why you should raise capital on WeFunder, even though I live in Nashville, I'm an owner of Chattanooga FC. So I'm going to be rooting for Chattanooga FC in that in that Tennessee derby. I love it. I love it. Well, best of luck to you, Johnny. Thanks for coming on. It was a lot of fun. And we'll have to do an update as you go and conquer the startup world. Um, six months plus. Good luck with the kiddos. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. 
To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.